You are listening to Fanther Tracks. Fanship. Never heard of the word you fought? Should I have? It's a ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. What a piece of junk. Covering Star Wars vehicles in less than 12 parsecs, this is Start Your Engines. Don't get technical with me. Here are your hosts. Paul Naylor and Mark Newbold. So hello there. Welcome to another episode of Start Your Engines. I'm going to introduce the fella that you all know and love from Tracks. He's as tall as a Wookiee, but as cuddly as an Ewok. Mr. Newbold. Well, thank you for that introduction. We've got a really cool episode today. We're going to talk about two Jedi Starfighters. The Jedi Starfighter, the Delta Seven Lathus Sprite from Attack of the Clones, and the ETA-2 Actis-class light interceptor from Revenge of the Sith. It makes sense that we would talk about the ship from Attack of the Clones first. Absolutely, absolutely. And and yes, obviously I was aware that there were variants, but I didn't realise they were as different as that. Manufacturer. The Athersprite, it was manufactured by QAT Systems Engineering. Model and class. It's a Delta series, Delta 7 Athersprite. It's a Starfighter, of course. If you wanted a brand new one... It will cost you 180,000 Republic Datteries or 145,000 used, which I think you'd probably be quite thrilled to use a, a former Jedi Starfighter. Technical specifications. It was designed by Whalen Blissex, who later designed the Alpha 3 Nimbus class V-Wing, and he worked on the RZ-1 A-Wing interceptor with General Dodonna. Yeah. Worked on that as well. So when you saw Attack of the Clones, I mean, there's a fair bit of the Athos Sprite in Attack of the Clones. Mm. It's, it's fairly prominent. It's got the hyperspace ring, which we'll get to in a bit. What's your first impressions of that as a vehicle? First of all, there's the outtake that straight away comes to mind, where I think we see Mace Windu getting into his vehicles. Yeah. I loved that bit, and that was obviously an unfinished shot, but... Going back to the actual finished film, I love the fact that you've got that ring that uh, that allowed you to to have like a, a hyperspace hyperdrive generator. That was genius for me because Tie Fighters we never expected those to have hyperdrives back in the day. Those were two small ships, so to have had something set prior to that for a small ship to have had a hyperdrive would have been wrong. So to have that extra added ability absolutely genius and i love the shape of it as well it's like a little mini star destroyer exactly it's got that v shape that does evoke that like you say the imperial star destroyer that we see later hyperdrive system because the technology of star wars for the most part the force was discovered tens of thousands of years before and blasters and lightsabers and all of that stuff have been around and forms of hyperspace travel maybe not to the degree that we get you know in the ot but all this technology has been around for a while so to me it was a bit weird i just wondered whether it was just the jedi starfighters that couldn't use hyperspace or just vehicles of that size but it was such like you say it was such a cool concept having all those docking rings around in orbit around coruscant and you just drive to it and park in technical specifications but it's it's a great design of a ship it's eight meters in length nearly four meters wide meter and a half deep so it's a decent size maximum acceleration 5000 g so that that baby can go it really can go Uh, 110 mglt Maximum atmospheric speed. And a maximum atmospheric speed of 1,260 kilometres per hour. So it's a fast ship. When I think of that vehicle initially, especially in Attack of the Clones, I think of the Battle in the Rain, you know, the scene on Kamino with Jango yes. and Obi-Wan, yep. because it's that mystery film. He's on the hunt for clues. Mm. Classic moment, of course, Geonosis asteroid field oh, as well. Which is genius. Which is an yeah. amazing sequence. Engine specs. It's got a J44 Jet Force sublight engine, so it's a powerful engine. 
it looks like it can go, doesn't it, that ship? Mm. And you've hit on probably my favourite scene from the film there, where you actually see... Uh, what is it about asteroid fields and me? Yeah. I love a good asteroid field moment. Yeah. Favourite bit of Empire, favourite bit of Attack of the Clones. The manoeuvrability of the ship was fantastic. And seeing Slave One, not Boba Fett's Starship, Slave One Agreed. in pursuit, when it's sort of, like George always says, it's like poetry, it repeats itself. Mm. When you see it on a rock... Very much like the Falcon was yes, on a Star much. Destroyer in yeah. Empire. It seems to be the only way that you can escape another ship in an asteroid field is to basically stop on something and just wait. <laughs> well, you see it. You even see it. It's a great point. You see the Knights of Ren ship sort of clinging onto that asteroid and following them down to Kajimi. That's right. Yeah. So it kind of is a thing, isn't it? In Star Wars, you've seen it in each trilogy now, really, haven't you? A moment George like that. loves that, doesn't he? he yeah. He, he would be all on board with that. Hyperdrive system. It doesn't have a hyperdrive system, no. but it does require that silo. 31 hyperspace docking ring I wonder if only the Athos Sprite can use that docking ring or whether other vehicles would be compatible with it that's a very good question it was very very colour coded to it wasn't it as well like a burnt red sort yeah. of colour so it might be that it's a bit like having uh, the key for your car you know it might only work on that specific vehicle Hull. It has a surplex J4 deflector generator, so it's well shielded. I mean, you see that again in the Geonosis asteroid field. Slave 1, yes, we are going to call it Slave 1, because it was called Slave 1 then. I'm not retconning history on this one. Slave 1 was all over the back. Yeah of Obi-Wan and he did so well he hates flying he said it many times before yeah. but he's a hell of a he's pilot good at it. he really is he really is and obviously those Jedi senses and, and just the ship I mean clearly it's all very well thinking and coming up with these evasive manoeuvres if the ship can't do it but clearly the Athersbite can, can do all of that so the shields can take a battering what I liked most about that scene was the fact that he was out manoeuvring Slave 1 to a certain extent Yeah, my favourite bit in that scene is the charge that goes the seismic on, charge. the seismic charge. Yeah. What a moment that was. That, well, I've got goosebumps now thinking about it. Mm. The, the fact that, that we see it and then we hear it. Yeah. How cool was that? Yeah. And also in terms of the Athersprite, the nimbleness, because you're seeing massive asteroids get sliced into rubble mm. and you see the Athersprite somehow dodging and nipping and accelerating because it, it has an ultralight alloy, so it's not a heavy ship. Yeah. I would imagine... You know, there's only a limited amount of space on board a vehicle to put weapons and shields and hyperdrive units and all the other stuff. So you've got to imagine, or I, I think you would imagine, that because it doesn't have a dedicated hyperdrive unit on board and that it docks and uses the capabilities and facilities of the docking ring, of, of the Silo 31 hyperspace docking ring, that that's more room for sublight engines or systems like that. So when you see that charge go off, and the Jedi Starfighter get away. Awesome. Or it's, it's like Federer versus Nadal, isn't it, that battle? <laughs> it's got like a very hard precedent to, to beat. It is effectively the X-Wing of the of the, of the prequel yeah. trilogy. Yeah. So for it to have an introduction as strong as that, we've got the fact that it can jump to hyperspace because of the, of the ring. Mm. We've got the manoeuvrability that we see in the asteroid field, and we see <laughs> the quirkiness of the fact that it... It's hidden on on an asteroid and then uh, is instrumental in getting the three heroes back together. R4, contact the old folks home. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you see R4 in the back of it. It was just a really good intro for that ship. It could have easily been just sort of like uh, dismissed as being something, as being nothing. And also because in episode one, we were introduced to the Naboo, the N1 Starfighter, which in that film, which is 10 years before Attack of the Clones, that yeah. was by default, that was like the X Wing of that X-wing. film, yes, wasn't it? Of course, yeah. But that was the Naboo's ship. That yeah. wasn't a sort of a vehicle you would expect to see far beyond Naboo. And yeah. indeed, until Booker Boba Fett, he didn't see it again. So this is a vehicle you would expect to see 
all around the galaxy. Navigation system. You mentioned R4. This this interested me. It's got an astromech droid, which is where the navigation system is, but he's permanently hardwired. The reason I mentioned the N1 was that if you look at the N1, R2 goes in basically into the, the socket and he's not... The dimensions don't quite it's work. It's very weird, isn't it? I think they show it in a drawing. Basically, it sucks the innards out and the innards and, and yeah. the dome go up. The casing, if yeah. you like, his body stays lower down. Yeah. Now, with R4, I take it it is just literally the dome. Then. I believe so. Yeah. I think it is literally just the guts of him are there. there is you know. There's nothing underneath. There's no there need so? for it. <laughs> he didn't need to go anywhere. So, it's, so it's, his, yeah. it's a bit like Last Jedi when you see BB-8 inside Poe's X-Wing and yeah. he's kind of rooting around and he's, he's extending. And <laughs> I'd love to see, I mean, you see a lot of R2... You see him in Jedi sort of pop open and different things. You yeah. see BB-8 with all the cables and the stuff that he can do. Yeah. But I'd love to show us the full operation of an astromech. Yeah. You know, a modern or a, or a brand new astromech like BB-8. It's a bit like opening up a Swiss army knife, isn't it? And Big getting time. All, all the utensils out. The Battle of Endor was probably the best when, yeah. when R2 gets hit and all these panels flow. Open. Yeah. But even then, when we get to the prequels, we've got him with turbos on his yeah. legs so he can he can he can hover around and fly around all over the place it looks like they take those off at some point because otherwise he, w- he would have been far more active of course in the <laughs> ot in the trilogy. yeah 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 but, uh, yeah that's the beauty of retconning isn't it you can you can explain that away yeah, of course. and there's lots of lots of little things they did that you can kind of cutely explain away without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. hi there this is mike quinn i played nine numb in return of the jedi and the new trilogy and you're listening to fan tracks one of the thoughts that strikes me is that this vehicle, because hyperdrive units are expensive and it's another thing to fix, and the Jedi kind of come across like they've got unlimited resources, but clearly they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's got a limit. So, And they do live, a, as people live, a fairly frugal life. They're not about possessions. They're space monks with swords, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> so they, yeah, they, yeah. they do lead a very sort of minimalistic lifestyle and that seems to translate to the vehicles okay that is ben's ship that is anakin's ship you yeah. see it more with the eta2 in that they're d- even different colors there's a more, more of a unique feel to those yes. ships yeah. a bit like the clone troopers paint up their own individual armor yeah. or have different haircuts that individuality <laughs> seems to come through the further into the prequel trilogy you go doesn't yeah. it does that make any difference to the presentation of the vehicle that you would imagine a lot of the skill comes from the pilot not just from the vehicle well i would think that the difference in colors is probably primarily merchandising <laughs> yes yes it just at, at the end of the day the films are aimed at from 7 till 97 uh-huh. so 7 year olds would be able to color code things and go oh yeah that goes with that character that the yellow one goes with anakin the red one goes with obi etc yeah. etc et yeah. so i think it's probably done partly for that yeah. for those reasons but, yeah. but as an aesthetic why not? I want my individuality. And I think that's probably what it's about in that, isn't it? That makes sense. Yeah. Armament. It's got a tame SDS-85 dual laser cannons, two of those, so packs a powerful punch. Alternatively, on different uh, setups or combinations, it can have quad-pulse laser cannons, and it's got an optional warhead launcher. So if they need this to go in and pack a punch and, and yep. hit a heavy blow, the vehicle's got the capability to do it. So it's, it's interesting that it can have adaptations to it. And we're starting to get used to that now in Star Wars, mm, aren't we? I mean, big time. Uh, I like the fact that in Solo, we've got the Millennium Falcon where you've got the normal mandibles that you would see on the on the original version of the Falcon that we're familiar with, where it extends out into one, and that became like an escape pod. So the fact that you, you, you've already got that in your mind, that you can adapt these ships, you can tinker with them, you can change them, it, it makes sense rather than to start, start from scratch and do something completely different. 
Crew compliment. One pilot, one integrated astromech droid. It can carry 60 kilograms of cargo, so not a lot. It's not going to carry a lot of stuff. Consumables. It's got no consumables, but it says it has a week's worth with a booster ring. Don't quite know how that would work. It kind of latches on. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe there's hatches where the pilot sits, where units can open up and there's consumables that can be fed through. Or does it mean that the hatches are actually part of the ring? Because you're going to be travelling somewhere, so it might be that the ring itself has got compartments in it that you've preloaded when you've been wherever. Off you've gone on your adventure. You're dropping down to Endor. Yeah. Your ring's obviously out in, in the orbit. You go down, you do your thing, fly back up to your yeah. ring, and then there must be some way of getting your sandwich box. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The ring. I, I think that's probably what he's hinting at there, is that it's part of the ring itself rather than in the in the cockpit. It's equipped with a life support system, yeah. so the pilot doesn't need a mask or a helmet or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. But it has five hours of fuel and five hours of air, which which surprises me. You would you would imagine it would have like a scrubber; it would just keep turning yeah. the air over. But it, it's a limited amount. So in years past, travel through the Star Wars galaxy clearly took a lot longer. It's yeah. it's in more recent years when they've shrunk the galaxy so much that you yeah. can literally fly from one side of the galaxy to the other in no time at all. So the thought that you can have five hours of fuel, five hours of air, you could pretty much go anywhere. Yes, yes. and I, I would imagine that even though it has the hyperspace ring. That's for a, a Jedi that's going out on a singular mission. Obi-Wan's going out on a specific singular mission, but for the most part, they'd be within a Republic cruiser right, yeah. or a bigger vehicle. So, so there'd probably be a racking system in there with yeah. all in it ready to deploy if they needed to. Yeah, it, it really was for sort of individual missions or maybe a couple of them going on a scouting mission or whatever, yeah. but certainly not for a long haul. Calm systems. It's got a ComScan processor, which means, yeah, they can call the old folks over, which I, I still think was the coolest line, the coolest Brilliant. line in that film. <laughs> I love that. For the Attack of the Clones era Jedi Starfighter, the Athos Sprite, I don't believe we see it again in Revenge of the Sith, which no. is another sort of three years on. We see through the run of the TV series that technology refreshes and changes at a pace in the Star Wars galaxy that you don't generally see anywhere else. Do we see it in the else. Clone Wars? I believe we do see it in the Clone Wars. Yeah. I'm, and I'm trying to think back to the Tartakovsky one, which is 20 years old now, which is crazy. I believe it is in that it one. It is in that yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. that came out before Sith. So I don't think yeah. we saw the ETA 2 in that one. No. It hasn't got that much time on screen, but it's pretty memorable. Yeah. And that, certainly kids loved it that were buying the, the, the toys. It's, it's a time. great toy. And the collectors loved it as well. Yeah. Just a great, cool-looking ship. It was very sort of simplistic design. Exactly, but don't you think, and it's exactly what you say, you, you can overthink the design of yeah. things, and it yeah. probably was as simple as that because a lot of the MO of the prequel trilogy was to foreshadow what we saw in the original trilogy, mm. and the Republic does become the Empire, and Star Destroyers were a Republic vehicle before yeah. they were an Imperial vehicle. So it makes sense. And at least they were different. It's one of my biggest gripes about the sequel trilogy is that the ships are too derivative. I would have liked to have seen something a bit different. Yeah. So it was it was nice to see something that was a little bit more leading up to what's to come rather than mimicking exactly what yeah. was to come. These look like little Star Destroyers. It's the foreshadowing. It's the breakdown of the Republic and, and, the, and the beginnings of the Empire. And as the Republic is the roots to the Empire, mm. it makes sense that the Republic stuff looks very much like what the Empire inherits. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fathatracks.com for Star Wars news 24-7, 365.
the Athersprite wasn't the only Jedi starfighter we saw in the prequel trilogy. The other was the ETA-2 Actis-class light interceptor. This is the ship we saw in Revenge of the Sith. Technical specifications. It was also made by Qwert Systems Engineer, and it was a Delta series ETA-2 Actis light interceptor, so more of that <laughs> TIE fighter vibe about it. <laughs> yeah. This is an expensive baby, 290,000 credits. Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. we open up with a shot of these two vehicles, Anakin yeah. and Obi-Wan, and yeah. we enter what is known famously as the waterfall shot when they fly over the edge of that ship and all of a sudden you're in the Battle of Coruscant. When you first saw Revenge of the Sith, what were your first thoughts when you saw that? It's a great opening, isn't it? It probably is my favourite opening to a Star Wars film, to be honest. Mm, Wouldn't Um, argue. It's very subtly done. You've got that... And then you roll over the top of it and then you see the battle. And those two little Jedi starfighters... And automatically, you connect straight to the original versions, even though they, they actually look nothing like them, right? Really. No, they don't. They're <laughs> a weird little mixture of... You think yeah. of that one, don't you? Yeah, yeah. They're a strange sort of hybrid between a TIE fighter and Darth Maul's spaceship. Yeah. They just look really cool. The fact that you've got that same sort of viewpoint as you get from a TIE fighter... Yeah. It's sort of like, whoa. <laughs> totally, totally. It's it's all there. It's like we said earlier in the show, foreshadowing. This yeah. trilogy, it's all about that, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think people appreciate that enough. No. Like, you know, it really is very subtly done. And just to say, there is that classic, the classic, <laughs> nearly 20 years old, it's a kind of classic. You know, this ETA2 style, as we mentioned, you know, yeah. the TIE fighter cockpit almost and the wings. Yoda has a version of this ship that yes. is a little bit smaller than this one. <laughs> Technical specifications. It's 5.47 metres long, 4.3 wide. It's 2.5 metres deep with its wings deployed. So it's not a massive vehicle at all, but no. it packs such a punch. It does. And and again, this one probably even more manoeuvrable than its predecessor. I would say. It looks pretty nimble in that fight scene at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. And that really, that's the only time we see it, is in that battle. Pretty much. But what an entrance. I love the buzz droids and all that stuff that yeah. happens to it and the fact that Obi-Wan has to then help that ship limp to the uh, the cruiser. Yeah. That was a, a, an ingenious way of keeping the guys together and getting them on board. Absolutely just loved the, the, the aesthetic of it, but also the fact that it had got that hybrid look between Republic and Empire. 5,200G maximum acceleration, 200G more than the Athos Sprite. MGLT speed chart. MGLT 118 MGLT, so it's a fast ship. Maximum atmospheric speed. 1,500 kilometres an hour, which is a lot faster than the Athersprite. <laughs> engine specs. Two iron engines. It's a twin iron engine, so that makes all the sense. Hyperdrive system. Class 1 hyperdrive, so it's got Solo 45 hyperdrive built in. So that's a step up. That's a change yes. from the previous vessel. I guess you've got to look at the situation that these Jedi and the vehicles they fly have been through. We start Attack of the Clones before the Clone Wars has kicked off and end it with the Clone Wars beginning to build up and everyone's getting to the battlefronts and it's yeah. all about to go. We start Revenge of the Sith with the Battle of Coruscant. Yeah. In that three-year time period, they've gone through so much, you realise that in a time of peace, you can use a hyperspace ring. In a time of war, those things, they're going to get scuppered. They're sitting ducks. Yeah. You know, it's, it'd be easy to take a Jedi out so, of the equation, wouldn't it? So you're saying that they're very expensive ships. Mm. How would those have been financed for the Jedi Order? It's a good question because the Jedi and the Republic, by this point, even though the Jedi don't want that, they are essentially all funded from the same 
part, yeah. which is all part of Palpatine's plan, isn't it? You know, the Jedi want to be seen as being independent, but they are generals to the clones that Dooku, we saw Tales of the Jedi, you know, we saw him wiping Kamino off the map so the army could be built. And He was a brilliant manipulator. At the end of the day, yeah. he, he set different factions against each other he couldn't lose because he was attached to them all he couldn't lose and the genius is that he was so clever in that he would tie up his loose ends so you could argue Dooku was his biggest weapon that, that did the most good inverted commas for him and yet because he knows Anakin's going to be his apprentice it's Anakin that takes Dooku off the board sensor systems he has close range sensors which we do see come into play in the Battle of Coruscant weapon systems two laser cannons, two secondary iron cannons as a configuration, or two laser cannons, concussion missile launcher, which is not a common configuration, and four concussion missiles. So it really can thump when it wants to. And I guess you'd imagine that Anakin and Obi-Wan being different styles of pilots. Anakin's a British pilot, we know. I suppose when Ben is talking to Luke in A New Hope about what a great pilot your father was. I imagine Lucas would have sat down and gone, right, here we are, episode three, the last ever Star Wars film. Let's show everyone what a great pilot Anakin was. Not just the pod race stuff, not just what he did in Phantom Menace, but as a a more seasoned warrior, the Battle of Coruscant's where it's really at for him, isn't it? And I suppose as well, the, the the big shift up from the previous iteration of the Jedi Starfighter is the fact that it could carry a whole droid. Yes. That's how we managed to get R2-D2 along for the ride in the, inverted commas, rescue of Palpatine. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, which I mentioned the Tartakovsky animated stuff. We saw him get kidnapped in the final episode of the Tartakovsky Clone Wars. And, of course, this is 10 years before Canon Legends and that whole thing changed. Such a beautiful series. It's so quick. Folks, if you haven't seen it, you need to to watch it. Totally, and it makes what we see in Revenge of the Sith even more substantial because it just mm. just showed it in such a beautiful way. R4 would have been a fully functional astronaut, George. Yeah. Maybe it was at some point, I don't know. <laughs> but but here you've got R2, as you say, he gets on board, grievous his ship, the invisible hand, and causes all sorts of trouble. Crew compliment. One pilot, one astromech droid, so crew of two, no passengers, but only 72 hours of consumables. So this right. vehicle is really designed to go in, hit hard, probably like you say even though it's got hyperspace capabilities be a part of a larger complement on a bigger cruiser they're not designed for long flights they're not it's as obi-wan says in the new hope the short range fighters yeah they are deemed to be taken elsewhere in huge ships and deployed for battles recon and then back to the big ship and stored but don't you think and it's something you said earlier that the athosprite he is that sort of arrowhead, Star Destroyer silhouette kind of style with adjustments and tweaks, but basically that's where your head goes and your heart goes when you look at it. And yet this is such a hybrid, like you say. It's got S-foils that can be deployed as yeah. well, so the wings can move. It's got that clear sort of TIE Fighter-style cockpit. Yeah. There's elements of it that evoke other things. This is the biggest hybrid of styles, yeah. you could argue, of any ship in the prequel trilogy. This is Steve Bloom, voice of Zebralios, and you're listening to Fanthatracks Caravast. <laughs> May the force be with you. From a, a plot point of view, it, it is that tipping point yeah. between it being a republic and then split into the Empire yeah. and the Rebellion. Because once they get beyond that point and the Empire is formed, clearly Palpatine's thinking, right, I'm making everything look uniform from my perspective rather than a continuation of the republic so he's taken elements that he likes and he's come up with the twin iron engine line of fighters it almost confuses people Mm. to thinking which way is this going to go i mean we know what's going to go because we've seen the ot yeah but for somebody that watched it from episode one through to episode six or 
in brackets, episode nine, if they watched it from episode one and they got to that point, they wouldn't realise that there was going to be a, such a big shift between the Republic being broken up. It's only because we've seen the OT yeah. and then seen the prequels, you think, well, hang on. That looks imperial. What's going on here? Like, you know. But don't you think, though, because we all saw four, five, and six, or most of us, I'm saying we all, <laughs> people of a certain age only ever saw one, two, three, four, five, six yeah, if they yeah. wanted to. And, and the original trilogy was something they saw after. But if you saw them in the order that George would have preferred, you would have gone one, two, three, four, five, six. And we're in an era now where we're in the midst of Andor being on. You know, you've not seen a huge amount of Imperial ships in that, mm. but the point is, is that we're now f still filling in the gaps between four and going back to three, if you like, that yeah. that 20-year yeah. period. At some point in the future, we'll be finished with this time period, mm. and Lucasfilm will have released something after nine, and we push on into the future yeah. beyond that. But somebody will come to it fresh, completely fresh, and go, right, I'm just going to go right to the beginning and yeah. start. So they'll start with Acolyte, if that's the earliest TV thing, mm -hmm. and work their way forward. And like exactly like you said, we'll get to the end of Revenge of the Sith, or to the start of Revenge of the Sith, yeah. and see a vehicle like the ETA 2, and see the design history and realise that Star Destroyers, as we said, weren't just mm. an Imperial vehicle, but a Republic vehicle. They yeah. were a signal or a sign of peace. They yeah. were the good guys. <laughs> yes. And then all of a sudden, one of those rocks up like you see in Andor, and it's, yeah. oh no, the bad guy's here. All the adoption of design is fascinating, isn't it? Adoption of design. But when you look at that vehicle, you look at that the ETA-2, and you, you realise what a pivotal role it played in, in, in that battle, taking into account at every second exactly what you said Palpatine's playing both sides he can't lose it doesn't matter who wins the war he's won he yeah. can win as the good guy he can win as the bad guy but he's won best spread bet ever totally totally <laughs> is what's your takeaway of, the, of that vehicle it's basically there as a mechanism of showing you that Anakin and Obi have both grown in their ability to pilot ships yeah the fact that in A New Hope Alec Guinness version of Obi-Wan Kenobi remembers Luke's father as being an excellent pilot. Doesn't hint at the fact that he's probably as good himself, but he is, <laughs> even though he doesn't like it. So it, it reinforces the fact that Anakin was a great pilot. If we'd only gone with the Attack of the Clones version of the ship, we didn't really get to see Anakin flying one of those around. No. So we needed to see Anakin doing something similar yeah. in a similar type of ship. It's quite a different looking ship. Casual viewers, they might sort of watch episode two and then watch three and think it's the same ship. Yeah even though it looks nothing like it. So that's quite clever how they've done that. You just think, that's a Jedi Starfighter. Yeah. You see two different TIE Fighters, and, and you go, hang on, that looks completely different. Yeah. Whereas with that, I don't think people did. But yeah, it was a means of, of, of showing them their independent abilities, but then the fact that they had to work together to get onto General Grievous' ship. Yeah. The beginning of the film, up until the point where they land back on the planet and he's going go to have your moment with the politicians. Yes. We needed to see that close friendship still. Yeah before the downfall. You could argue that perhaps too much happens in one episode and that might have been better in episode two. Yeah. But still, it worked. Well, what has worked, he's just talking about two Jedi Starfighters on this episode. We'll be back very soon. We already know what we're going to talk about next, but we're not going to say it. No clues whatsoever. But what we will do is we will say thank you for listening to Start Your Engines. If you want to be part of the action, stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanthatracks.com or check out the free Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. So email me, email Paul, ask for what you want us to talk about. We 
we will be calling it Slave One when we get to it. Comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at Fantatracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast share or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fantatracks intro and our Start Your Engines opening music, Mark Daniel of Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers, and of course, the data miners over at Wikipedia. Remember, tune in to Good Morning Saturday it's Live Sunday and whilst this show is on Disney Plus Thursday evenings, 9 o'clock UK, 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatrax Radio Friday night rotation every Friday night 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of The Phantom From Down Under, Planet Layer, Desert Planet Discs, Start Your Engines, that's this one, Collecting Tracks, Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks, I did that all from memory. <sighs> Batteries not included, big assault separately. Well done. Well done, yeah. <laughs> Please read the small bit. We'll be back very, very soon with another episode of Start Your Engines, but until then, clear skies and fly safe. May the fire spray be with you. Coming up next on Fantha Tracks Radio, it's Making Tracks.